Welcome back to Coaching Kernan. I'm Dave D'Agostino, your co-host. I'm joined by Kevin Kernan, America's most beloved sports writer, uh, my co-host in the show. We bring back Bull, our resident expert, 45-plus years in Major League Baseball, scout, player, coach, and also with us, Sal Marinello, our resident performance coach. Guys, welcome back to Episode 16, our panel of resident experts, our post-All-Star game appearance. We pushed our show back a little bit this week so we could cover the festivities of the Futures game, the draft, the Home Run Derby, and the All-Star game. Um, welcome back, guys. Good morning. Good to be here. Yeah. So we're going to do a little something different today. Uh, we, we normally go through our mailbag, but we've getting, we're getting so much mail that we put together some major topics right now surrounding the All-Star break. And uh, we're going to call it, our segment's going to be called No BS. And you can read between the lines what BS stands for, audience. We're going to hit some topics to our experts here, and we're just going to shoot it out at each other and, and uh, try to hash it out and see if we can solve the world problems in this 45-minute segment here. So uh, first topic for us right now, I'm going to read a quote from our commissioner of Major League Baseball. And just for reference, minor league baseball players, uh, California-based, just won a $185 million lawsuit um, against Major League Baseball um, surrounding living conditions, living wage. And here's the quote from our commissioner. I want to get just a short response just to get us started here. From Rob Manford, I reject the premise that they're not being paid a living wage. Now, for reference, minor league players roughly make $800 to $1,000 a month. As you go up the line, maybe $7,500 a month as a AAA player. In comparison to Rob Manford's $17 million a year contract that he has, plus million-dollar kickbacks on money earned by all 30, all 30 major league clubs. So a little bit of a definition problem there with living wage maybe. So anybody want to take the, the bull by the horns there and jump on that one? Yeah, I'll start out. I, I, I will say that conditions at the minor league level have improved and they've made a concerted effort. But with the amount of money that is being made, I, I would say it's uh, uh, equivalent to our society and our country when people uh, people in power, you know, talk, talk down and they have no idea what the uh, – the working class person is going through, uh, you know, so many stories over the years with eight to 10 kids living in two, two bedroom apartments in areas of the country where that that's all they could afford, not making money. Uh, you know, just, it's certainly not, not good. And it's, uh, it's intellectually dishonest to, to say that that the players are doing well because because they're truly not doing well financially when you look at the amount of money in the game. Yeah, and I, I can speak a little bit on my experience as a minor league baseball player. You know, didn't get health insurance when I was playing when I was off season. I made roughly between eight hundred dollars and twelve hundred dollars a month. There were times you lived with four to six guys in a studio. Um, there was. One half a season, I lived in a garage, um, somebody's garage. They made it up for me so I could live in there. Uh, and you, you know, as we talked off the air, you know what you're signing up for, and it's kind of a badge of courage to make it through that. But we don't need to make our minor league baseball players a social experiment, you know, to see just how much they can get through. I know as you talked, uh, you know, bowl the food's better now, uh, but just like you know, you did, we lived on bologna sandwiches and 
God, anytime I got to win player of the game, which wasn't often, you know, you get you get free wings at the you know the local pub if you got yes. player of the game. So you know, you you, you love that because you save your twelve dollars meal money for that type of stuff. So just, exactly, Al, you had something you wanted to weigh in on. Uh, yeah, I just would add that you know I live a literal stone's throw from uh, the Somerset Patriots, and in my area, I don't know what kind of conditions you're expecting young guys living on those numbers to live on. Even if you're, multi, you know, smushing them in a room somewhere, that, I, I can't imagine that being a, a living wage by anybody's uh, definition. Just yeah. knowing what my area is like. Yeah. One of my one of my neighbors, he works at one of the local fast food restaurants. I won't give the name. He makes ten dollars an hour. He works 40, 40 hours a week. As an eighteen year old, he's making twice as much money a month working at this fast food place, and the he, he runs the fry section that I made as a minor league baseball player just to give the audience a little reference. So, yeah, it, it, there, there's definitely a misconception as to how much money minor league players are making. Uh, they, you know, they do get uh, very high bonuses in the first few rounds now. Um, but, you know, the whole of minor league baseball, the, those kids are not getting wealthy at all. Yeah. Kevin, you wanted to add in. And yeah, I, I just want to clarify. It's, it's you know the number for for Rob supposedly is seventeen point five, and he can, I guess, if they make money, he gets bonus. So that that would be what you were talking about. The other money he could get from yeah. the team. So uh, and they make money. I mean, they don't make money. So there's a lot of money. The pie is big. Uh, in some ways, though, let's not forget the uh, the uh, player association at the major league level can take care of these guys and help out too, and get them a little bit more. You know, put them in their negotiating system, but they don't. So. It's kind of like, uh, you know, they really keep it separated. And I go all the way back to um, the way back. Now, this is the guys that were, there were many players who didn't get pensions uh, and they had played up to four years in the majors because it was, I forget the cutoff and I'm, I'm not right here with my numbers, but exactly right. But it was about four years. So you got players, uh, you know, um, who, 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 who did some significant things in baseball and never, never qualified for the pension. And, and the Player Association never went to bat for them. So I'm not just making this a Manfred thing, although they did have to settle that suit. So that tells you really all you need to know. But it's not, I think both sides can do a better job. No, fair point. Bull, just out of curiosity, what was your signing bonus? Uh, I signed in the in the fifth round for $10,000. Nice. I didn't get drafted. I got signed after as a free agent. And I got a team jacket and two extra hats. So <laughs> you got a better agent than I did. I uh, I did get a hat and uh, I didn't get an equipment bag. I had to buy that in instructional league. Um, I did get hooked up with a glove contract, but I made five hundred dollars a month that first year. Um, you know, the one thing it did was it improved my cooking skills. You know, uh, I I would call my mother, collect on the phone, and ask her how to make meatballs and sausage and tomato sauce and how to make meatloaf and roasted chicken. And uh, my poor mom and dad had to pay a lot of collect phone call bills. Let let me in here. This is, uh, you know, talking about cooking. Uh, You know, I was in the Mets. uh, You know, I covered the Mets and Yankees in spring training. So Juan Lagares, when he was a young player, I noticed uh, the, the other players were calling him the king. So I, I did some research, you know, this is where I was good at. And, uh, 
why, why are you calling this guy the king? The other Latin players and even some, uh, you know, other players that he knew that he played with. Oh, that's the king, you know. So I'm thinking he's going to be the king because, you know, he's, he's a tremendous outfielder or whatever. He was, he was nicknamed the king because in his, in, in his spring training um, apartment had a kitchen. So a lot of the other fellow Dominican players would come to his apartment and, and cook. So he would sit back like a king and, and get all the food. And uh, he had nothing to do with it, but he had the kitchen. He had the kitchen. So there's a, there's a, there's a modern day story of how this still uh, plays out in, uh, you know, so, so forever there, I, whenever I see one, I always call him King and gets a big smile. <laughs> great story. That's a great story. Well, or Paul, you wanted to add a. Yeah, I just, uh, I, I, I was always uh, wanted, people wanted the room with me because I could cook. Uh, there you go, the and, king. And, and, and when I would go on the road, uh, I had bought this uh, little crock pot that uh, had a griddle and a pot that you could put on top. You could slow cook. You could cook things on the griddle. I would go food shopping at the beginning of a series, and whoever my roommate was, they were extremely grateful that we weren't spending half of our meal money eating in the hotel room. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I guess that was the one thing it, it did was it prepared me for real life too. Yeah. Well, talking, talking money now, moving on to the home run derby champion, Juan Soto was offered a 40, $440 million contract by the nationals. And we'll have on Bob Schaefer next week. And maybe we can get him to talk a little bit about that. He rejected that contract, him and his agent. What's that mean? How, how good is Juan Soto, first of all? And what does that mean for him? It's, it's obviously a sign he doesn't want to be with the Nationals. And who gets him? I think the market is small. He's a great player. And, um, you know, again, I used to see him in spring training all the time and, and talk to him. Good kid. And, you know, the Yankees will be playing. I, I, I think the sneaky team here in this is going to be the Mets. Simply because uh, because uh, we, you have an owner, Steve Cohen, who collects art. This is just another piece of art. I'm you know I'm going to write about this for Ball Nine too. But uh, you know, and I think it was 2014, Cohen brought a piece of art, a sculpture for, for uh, some crazy number, like 140 million or something, and it was the uh, largest amount ever paid for a sculpture at auction. So. Why wouldn't he do this? Now, the question would be, why would the Nationals trade him to their uh, team within the division? But if the Mets make the best offer and take on money, take on Corbin's salary, that could be done. I think the Yankees will be players, of course, and you can never count out the Dodgers. I don't see any team sneaking in here that we don't know about. you got to remember Scott Boris is the agent. So that throws, you know, I think, the you know, you got to think all, all everywhere where Scott has season tickets, uh, Dodgers, uh, Angels, and even the Padres, if they could rearrange some some contracts and get rid of contracts. But I see Juan Soto wanting to play, you know, in, in a either for Yankees. I think he would love to play for the Mets. I I, I actually think that's his that would be his number one choice. So I'm I'm looking I'm making the Mets the, the favorite to get Juan Soto. Yeah, I'd have to agree. I think they've got the prospects to give up. I think Corbin's going to have to be attached to that as well um, for. The Yankees to be involved. Does this have to be an either-or thing, Aaron Judge or Juan Soto? If they were to go after Soto, does that mean Judge doesn't get brought back? I, I would say so. I would say so. But I'll let Bull handle this one, you know, from a scout's perspective. But the uh, 
you know, Judge, uh, you know, he had some comments through the All-Star game. It's, I, I've been telling you guys for however many shows we've done, and I've been writing it for a year and a half, and everybody thought I was crazy, you know, that he, he's not locked into being a Yankee long time. This is it for him. This is the one contract he can get. I still think he wants to – it wouldn't hurt. He, he He's so strong of will that, you know, he doesn't have to be a Yankee for life or, you know, if they don't come up with the deal that he wants. And uh, he'll move on somewhere else. And Hal Steinbrenner, from what he's done in the past, do you see Hal Steinbrenner paying two guys like over $300 million? I don't. But, uh, you yeah, know, I think we'll- it's, it's interesting too, like judges the age that Pujols was when he signed that massive contract and that, you know – really didn't work out. I think he got, you know, three or four years before he really started to fade. I'm one, you know, that's a big, big piece of that, at least from where I sit. Oh, certainly, Sal, and it would soften the blow. If they lose Judge and sign Soto, Yankee fans will move on very quickly. Yeah, I mean, I I love Aaron Judge. I think he's a great, you know, fun player to watch. He does a lot. You know, you watch him in center field and you forget, you know, there's a guy like six foot seven could do that and, and do what he does. But, Again, it's it's the nature of the number. He's thirty, third going on thirty one, and look at look at the history. What are you going to sign him to a ten year deal? And again, that's how that's exactly what happened with Pujols. So, you know, yeah, it's um, it, it, it's certainly. Uh, <clears throat> I guess it's the obscenity of baseball now to me to just look at the fact that someone can turn down four hundred and forty million dollars and someone probably is going to end up paying more. And that uh, the article I read 15 years ago that Scott Boris was becoming the most powerful person in baseball has come to fruition. Uh, I think we watched it during the lockout this year. Um, His clients were all, all on, all the clients of his were on the negotiation committee and they all voted against the deal. So, um, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, to compare those two guys, it's kind of apples and oranges because the one is a great player that you have right now, but he is older, and the other one's a young, great player. And, uh, you know, I don't think anybody can afford to pay both of those because they're still paying Garrett Cole as well in New York. So, uh, um you know, maybe Cohen can afford to do it, you know, with, with Lindor and Soto, I guess. But Do you guys see this as being almost like an A-Rod situation where, the, you know, I believe it was Texas was basically um, bidding against themselves and there was really uh, irrational uh, upscaling of that or uh, uh, of that contract? Well, Boris wouldn't do this unless he knew he had owners that were going to pay this. Uh, Boris doesn't work with GMs. He works with owners. Yeah, he always has for the most part. Once he got big, and I, I've known Scott very well. I know his people very well. Uh, you, you don't mess with them because they can always got a plan, and you know uh, uh, he, he'll have other guys. You know, uh, the guys that don't get soda will get some other Boris clients. Uh, you know, a, very, a much lesser client, but to me, a, a fascinating free agent coming up would be Nimmo. You know, and he moved over, I think, to Scott. Uh, um, you know, he's going to get a lot of money somewhere, and maybe even the Phillies need to get a defensive outfielder. That would be nice for a change. At least guy can catch it. He can't throw it as well. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yes. So Scott, uh, Scott's got this plan played out. He, don't forget, he worked many years with the ownership in with the Nationals. That's how he got those guys signed over there originally, some of the big names. And now yeah, that, they're the ownership. 
you know, that's, it's funny. That's the point I'd like to make is uh, he threw those people under the bus already. Um, You know, uh, basically the nationals were his team. You know, he basically owned the Lerner family and um, got his players there and got his players paid extremely well. But uh, because, because this, this contract for Soto didn't get to that 50 million, which I believe he thinks he's going to get to with Soto is uh, he decided to throw them under the bus publicly to sports illustrated and criticize them for only buying him a first, first class ticket to the all-star game, not a chartered plane for him only. Yeah. It's uh, this also tells me again, that's why I think I've been through the years a pretty uh, a writer who knows what's going on. You got to be between the lines. Max Scherzer's his guy. Scherzer has a lot of influence. Whereas Scherzer's with the Mets, obviously uh, Cohen is his new guy. I mean, you know, it's almost like the scene from The Natural where the girl shoots uh, Robert Redford. Her eyes switch from the whammer to the national. I could just see that's what Scott's doing here, and I'm sure he's he feels pretty confident that Steve Cohen is going to get involved in this, and uh, and then he can have. Uh, $43 million Scherzer and, you know, whatever uh, Soto makes. And it's, it's just the question whether the Mets will trade their prospects. But if the owner wants a guy, let's keep this simple. Let's not make this hard. If an owner wants a guy, do you think he cares about Beatty or, or somebody or Alvarez? No. I mean, they don't care. They'll just move on to that. You, you, Juan Soto's a great player. And, and you know, there's a big uh, – the fans will come out. He'll make his money back. It, you know, it's a solid business decision on both ends. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. Well, talking about we t- Aaron Judge got touched on here. Next topic is Yankees. What a difference. We look back a year ago today, the lineup for the Yankees. I'm going to read it to you real quick. DJ LeMahieu, Giancarlo Stanton, Gary Sanchez hitting third, Glaber Torres batting fourth, Chris Gittens playing first base batting fifth, Trey Ambergi playing right field batting sixth, Ruffnet Odor playing second base hitting seventh, Ryan Lamar playing left field hitting eighth, and Greg Allen playing center field, hitting ninth. That's the Yankee lineup one year ago today. Now we look at them today, and they're kind of the standard bearer for baseball today. Uh, we're being held up. Talk about the Yankees right now. What makes them so much better twelve months ago? From twelve months ago. Well, I'll let you start on this one. I well, you know, first of all, health. Uh, they're all healthy. Um, they acquired a solid defensive shortstop. Um, able to move Torres back to second base, which makes him a better offensive player. They upgraded their defensive catching. Uh, DJ LeMayu's healthy. Judge is healthy. Stanton has stayed healthy and on the field. Um, Anthony Rizzo, uh, not to disparage uh, Chris Chris Gittens at first base. Right. <laughs> Is, is quite an upgrade there. And, and all those other players are, were, were, were good 4A-type players that came up and filled a decent role for the Yankees, but they're not what they have now. Um, you know, uh, and not even to mention the, the miss on Gallo, but they filled in uh, with Trevino, who ends up being an all-star that they get for nothing because they ended up getting the player back that they traded for Trevino. So uh, hats off to the Yankees, hats off to their players for staying healthy. And 
uh, putting together one of the best first halves in in a long time in the game of baseball. Yeah, I would say that, uh, uh, you know, Cashman got religion a little bit. He realized that his way wasn't working. Um, uh, his nerd way wasn't working as well. They, he incorporate the nerds, but don't make them make every decision. That's how you wind up with Gallo and that lineup you just mentioned. Um, now, all of a sudden, he's got guys that play defense, and that has to be scout-related, some of that. And and also, a guy that I loved, and I said it, uh, you know, they, they made some smart signings where other teams – it actually shows me, to be quite honest – the Yankees are doing a great job, and like like Bull said, hats off to them. But it also shows how dumb, dumb these teams are. Matt Carpenter was out there for anybody to take. You know, he 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 sent notes to every team, and and all you had to do was read the story on Matt Carpenter, what he did with his swing, and watch him. And I first time I saw him, I said, "This guy's going to be great." You know, he's going to be able to do what they need him to do. Like he can't field anymore, or certainly can't play the outfield, but. His lefty swing, and I think he's learned a little bit from Rizzo as well. I think Rizzo's been a great addition. And, again, the Yankees stumbled into Rizzo. Rizzo was out there. The Red Sox, the crappy Red Sox could have signed Rizzo. But I think that this is a testament to the Yankees, and it's also uh, – it shows everybody else how dumb they are in baseball. And the guys running these teams are pretty much, uh, you know, pretty much idiots, but they get away with it because the media doesn't hold them accountable. Yeah. Analytics does not measure – Locker room does not measure leadership, and I think Rizzo and guys like Lemayhu, uh, Judge, Judge, you know, Judge should have been signed to a long-term deal four years ago. Yeah, and what about style of play, Bull? Then we can move on. This Yankees look like they're stealing more bases. They're hitting behind runners. You've got a guy like Nestor Cortez who's not lighting up the radar gun, but he's an all-star and certainly could be the most effective pitcher in the Yankee rotation right now. Uh, New closer, you know, uh, for them with Clay Holmes. What about style of play? Yeah, I mean they're 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 playing good baseball. You know, they not only have the power that they've always craved, but they're doing other little things. Um, you know, when the line keeps moving on with guys like Trevino and uh, uh, Kiner Falefa and uh, Lemay who who get on base, they they get a base hit. The line keeps moving. And, and that makes the game tougher for the other team. Um, you know, they, they're just playing the game at, at an extremely high level. Their starting pitching has gotten better. Um, their bullpen, even with the injuries, has gotten uh, better because of a, of a really good baseball trade that they made last year uh, acquiring Clay Holmes. Um, and that was, that was a scout-driven trade. Uh, I know the scout that made the recommendation and believed that he was going to be who he was if he went back to throwing his sinker, and that's what they got him to do. So, yeah, that's a great point, Bull, and this is a great lesson too because we, you know, we essentially do the show to um, you know get the younger players better and things like that. You know, if you're a young player, watch the Yankees how they play. Watch Rizzo if you're first base and watch Rizzo. You're going to get better. And also, if you're a coach. Realize what the Yankees put together when Bull talks about moving the line along, that it's not just nine guys that slug, you know. it's Yeah, they they can all hit home runs, especially in Yankee Stadium when they throw the fastball away. And by the way, the all-star home run, you couldn't put it on a tee any better for Stanton. So, uh, you know, that's what they do. You throw a ball over the middle half of the plate uh, or, or outside, they'll go with it. So put together teams that can run, field, defense, you know, throw. That's that's the kind of team you put together nowadays, not just, just – 
just guy hitting home runs and showcase teams. You know, I, I, I and, and I will just backtrack slightly in talking about Matt Carpenter and then the pitcher that pitched in the All-Star game with the A's last night who uh, has been on waivers twice and people could have claimed and had for basically nothing. And Matt Carpenter, who had for nothing, that comes back to poor evaluation of talent. And uh, if the analytics are, are not finding the value in these players and neither are the scouts and shame, shame on them. I, w- I will say I didn't scout either one of them, so I don't think I missed on them. But, uh, you know, and then you hear last night, Alejandro Kirk, there was only one team interested in him. Team. He's playing yeah. in an all-star game. And, you know, uh, you know, we got to do better. We got to do better of evaluating talent and the whole package. And, you know, Dave, you mentioned heart, makeup, what it brings to the club. And, and, and those are the players. I mean, what a fan of Tre, uh, Trevino after listening to him talk last night. Yep, that was awesome. I was going to bring oh that up. Oh, my gosh. He was incredible. So Yeah, one other point because, you know, I love to do this. The, 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 no nerd team was going to sign Carpenter because what does the nerd teams do? They they, they they base it on what happened in the past. They they didn't have the foresight to see that Carpenter change his swing and rebuild his swing to be an attack. An attack. Exactly. So, exactly. Not one of those nerd teams. They, I guarantee you, they'll all say the same thing. Well, the numbers, you know, if you look at his numbers, he wasn't trending well. Well, that's why you need advanced scouts too. Another example here, and and uh, you know, get me on my high horse on this, but this shows me too. And, and Bull made the point about the Yankees scouting. I guarantee you the Yankees sent, you know, had scouts looking at Carpenter and understood that this guy's a different guy. So that's that's baseball, and more teams need to get back to this. Unfortunately. I wish Cashman would do a better job of complimenting his scouts instead of always talking about his analytic people. You know, I'll add, I just finished a minor league organization and had a player that I turned in as a no prospect last year. And you talk about making adjustments. He's made a ton of adjustments. That's why you have to watch them every year. You got to throw your ego away and say, my gosh, I was wrong. This guy's going to play every day in the big leagues and be pretty good. Uh, at the first end of the first half in high A ball, he was hitting 300 with 15 home runs and was just promoted to double A. And I actually saw him his first series and he's hitting 500 at the end of the first week in double A. Players get better. Kids work. Uh, they figure out a light bulb comes on. You have to go watch them. And be honest with your evaluation, throw away your ego and say, my gosh, I was wrong or, or no, I nailed it. I had them right. So um, that's, that's good points. Paul. And I want you to expound upon this. I want to go into the draft now. Um, and I want you to carry on what you were talking about in terms of development of the first 300 picks in the draft. Only 44 were high school players um, with the draft being reduced to 20 rounds. Now we know that's 32 rounds where kids can't get jobs. Tell me what that means to you in terms of development now. 44 high school kids, that means more college kids are getting taken. Has Major League Baseball given up on development? Is that is that, that message being sent yeah, to you? That, you know, that was out there on social media. And I think, uh, unfortunately, I think it's a road we're going down. Um, Sal and I had some exchanges during the draft. And 
I was always a proponent of high school players. You know, you get them younger, you mold them into professional baseball, you teach them your way, you teach them the right way. Um, but uh, I can clearly see that we're going down a road uh, where we're going to take only college players, but I don't know how we're going to reconcile that when we're signing 16-year-old foreign players. So we're going to have 22-year-olds and 16-year-olds trying to blend that. Um you know, the, all the international players are 16. So I, I, I don't know where we're going, but I think they're all efforts to – we've already cut back 42 teams, and I think we may end up seeing even more cutbacks. Uh, you know, I've heard of as little as possibly three minor league clubs per team, which is not – just not good, you know. Uh, my friend Jack Cuss made the comment, you know, when you're trying to grow an industry worldwide, you don't shrink the entry level, but we're shrinking the entry level. That's a great point. Uh, Sal, what do you, what do you think about that? Is you get an 18 year old kid developing them, whether it's a baseball swing or running or, you know, a kid's going to grow from 18 to 22 in terms of his physicality. What's your thoughts on that? Well, I think there's a couple of things there. Uh, uh, I'll talk to this point first, and then there's something I'd like to add. But I, I, I saw that number and that stat, if you want to call it that, and just I, it sounds like laziness to me. You know, I had heard this. You know, again, I don't have any of the insider info, but I had read. I read a lot, and maybe it was even from Kevin. But it seems to me this is a this has been a trend. It seems like college baseball has been pushed a little more, and they're kind of allowing those programs to quote. I'm putting it in quote develop these players and then they get a, 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 a supposedly more uh, game ready kid major league ready kid uh, my sense is the hard work and why so many athletes have issues that hold them back in the professional ranks or at the, in the major leagues is that they are left to these colleges and to whatever other influences they're um, affected by is their you know, formative years, those years after high school. So that, that that's my thought. Uh, it's maybe born out of laziness and uh, being a little uh, penny wise and pound foolish, foolish. But I, I think they're missing a boat, missing the boat about how to really get more out of these kids. Yes, well, you want to add? Yeah, uh, Ed, those are great points, Sal. I, you know, we um, and 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 there's this, and it's a misconception, in my opinion that the power conference colleges are the only place where there are players. And look at the number of players that were drafted from the power conference teams. I mean, you're talking seven, eight, nine players. My gosh. That, And I see them next year. I will see a lot of them and I'll go, he's not a big league prospect. So we are missing – through laziness, through showcase scouting, through um, groupthink scouting, and Baseball America ranks them. It's a perfect game, ranks them starting at 13. This whole core of kids that get the best scholarships, the, the, the true cream high school kids do rise to the top, but that number of depth of players that, that do mature at a Division two or Division three college that go on to be great big league players in the past, they don't even get looked at anymore. 
Um, there's no analytic data at high school games. There's no analytic data at, uh, at, at junior college games. There's no analytic data at Division three and NAIA schools. So, you know, I, I, I don't know where we're going, but I do know that it's not a good place because I see just a lot of ordinary guys where there's no upside and you go, you know, this guy's an organizational single-A, double-A player. Um, there's no tools there for him to be a big league player. So, yeah, Sal, you wanted to weigh in. Yeah, I wanted to circle back. The other point I was going to make is the number of uh, Tommy John surgeries that were uh, uh, in the first 60 picks. I think I saw there were about 10 pitchers that had been picked in the first 60 that had Tommy John. I mean, to me, that's a, a crazy number given what we know about uh, what injury predicts for the future. You know, the best the best predictor of future injury is past injury. And there's such a, a, a huge misinformation uh, effort around the recovery and the prospects of, the, of athletes who have recovered from the Tommy John surgery that I think, I, I think it's something that have, people are just totally ignoring. I, I say the same thing about a college football player who's uh, suffered an ACL injury. You know, those are things that completely change that athlete, no matter how great the rehab is, no matter how um, skilled that that athlete is, there's a huge uh, change in what they do. And, and the statistics bear it out. It's just that you don't hear about it. If you look at the, the real data, um, there's not the slam, these surgeries are not the slam dunk they're advertised to be. Yeah. Kevin, you wanted to go on something? Yeah, real quick. Um, I think uh, we can switch this over to football too with Barkley with the Giants. He, he has been the same player. So I know that's a big point of Sal. So th- those things happen. But I'm going to throw a quiz question at you guys. Um, and it'll be in my ball nine column. So you guys will be ahead of the curve because I'm going to finish that today. But um, guess who the, the last position player uh, who made the all-star team from the Padres that they, they signed and developed, drafted or signed? Anybody got anybody want to throw? Tony Gwynn. Exactly. I was going to say the same. Tony Gwynn. And uh, it's an obvious one because he was so good, obviously. But what does that tell you about their programs? And I'm not banging on the scouts because they have – I actually talked to a fellow who used to be one of their scouts as well when when I brought this up. And he he points out that – as and this is a big part of what we're talking about. You have to have patience to develop as well. and. The pod, uh, A.J. Preller doesn't have that patience. And just in this, this uh, you know, Ty France was there, right? Ty France was an all-star this year. He was signed by the Padres, a 34th-round pick. Yeah. 34th-round yeah. pick. Uh, you know, and Cronen- Cronenworth got picked, but I didn't understand that one hitting 240 with nine home runs. I, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, th- there were a couple uh, head shakes for me. Uh, and the fact that 80 players were involved in the All-Star yeah. game. So we're about, like we're about to get to that. The yeah. watering down. But anyway, David Bednar, he was a 35th-round pick of the Padres. Uh, Class A, the, uh, the Cleveland guy, he was a, a, a free agent signing. So so not only do I draft well, but with those younger players, especially when you draft them, you got to have patience to see how they develop and just don't throw them in a trade because you want to get – you know. You want to make a trade, and uh, and uh, and meanwhile, years later, you wind up uh, 
like the, the, the Astros got Alvarez for Josh Fields, I believe it was. So, uh, so these organizations are, I think, uh, bull hit it best when he said, you know, the quick fix thing, the mentality, and now it's becoming the same thing in the draft with the college kid and the quick fix. Yeah. Now, one of the things I looked at, I know you guys know in our audience knows that we help kids get scholarships. 256 college players taken means now there's more money pool for these kids that were out there with the baseball scholarships being log jammed due to the extra COVID years. The, the flip side of the coin is now there's 256 um, players moving on. So there's a little bit more scholarship money for some of these kids to get some money to go to college on baseball. So um, I do hope baseball gets back to development though, because that's where the game is at. Um, so I want to move to the all-star game right now. You, got, you guys can jump on any of the topics here. As Bull said, there was about 80 players selected year, this year, maybe more. I think everybody was an all-star this year. Um, you know, the mic'd up stuff with the, the players, how you feel about that. The tie game, I think that was going to be decided by a home run derby. The uniforms, people were sounding off on that. Um, or just anybody in the game that, uh, Kevin, your second baseman from the Twins made it. You called it before the season. He was your hitter. Um, right. Give me some give me some tidbits from the All-Star game that you guys picked up on. Well, when, I want to um, – well, first of all, the uniforms were ridiculously bad. I mean, I grew up in an era where it was fun to watch all the – uniforms come together and i'm going to make this a comparison that you know it was it was all about different groups coming together seeing the reds and the phillies and there's a great picture that steve garvey put up on his facebook this week of uh 79 all-star game with all those guys sitting on the bench in the national league winfield with his padre uniform which was a great uniform the phillies guys uh boa bob boone and, and schmidt with their their uh Philly uniforms, uh, Davy Lokes. So it was always fun as a fan growing up to see the uniforms and the teams come together. It's kind of like America coming together. But now everything is sell, sell, sell. You got the Hollywood version of the All-Star uniform. Great. You know, there'll be a lot of people wearing it, but it means nothing to me. I think it's uh, just another uh diluting the game. And uh, But on a positive note, and I'll let you guys carry on here, but I did love the. Uh, I don't like. I'm not a fan of mic up because it's. They usually mic up the guys that are just their egos are so huge that uh, I don't want to hear what this guy's got to say. I've had enough of this. But uh, the key mic up was the um, micing up the pitcher and the catcher. Um, you know, uh, Cortez and um, um, and Trevino, the Yankee teammates, and you got to see. It's the stuff we talk about in the show all the time. The best thing, and I'm sure it went under the radar and nobody else heard it. You guys might have heard it, but Trevino was talking about how the ball will tell him how to pitch the guy. In other words, what happened on the previous pitch, where the ball went, how about it reacted to it. We talk about that all the time. So that tells me when we're giving the Yankees a lot of credit for their nerds or some people are giving the Yankees credit for their nerds. No, this is Trevino, a human being catching and reading what's going on. And him and Cortez had a lot of fun. And I give Cortez credit because uh, it's not easy to pitch and talk and uh, try to execute the pitch that you're trying to pitch from all different angles. But to me, that was the best thing about this All-Star game. And to be honest with you, I turned it off and went to bed as soon as that was over because I didn't want to hear anything else. I like that point, Kevin, because you you did an article um, a little while back. Gary Allenson was quoted in it, a Major League Baseball catcher. And he made that exact comment of everybody in the ballpark as the catcher. I've got the best view of what's going on. I've got the best shot of t- directing that pitcher to make the next best pitch. So I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great, great point. What, what caught your eye, Sal, during the All-Star game? Any, any particular players, any particular nuance? 
Uh, I have to be completely honest with you. Uh, the All-Star game bores me. I think it's be outlived its usefulness. I know uh, baseball is a traditional sport and people love that stuff. I, I don't. Uh, I actually was watching the World Track and Field Championship, so maybe I'm a, a, a heathen. Uh, I I just enjoy that. I think uh, you know. What you love, Sal? What you love about the World Track and Field Championship? Yeah. Um, you know what? The it's it's not on the regular network, so they show a little more of the field events. I, I think when you watch the these big track events on uh, the regular networks, even the Olympics, you get the you know the the runners. And aside from the sprints, I think sometimes it's really not compelling all the time watching a five thousand meter heat. So you got to see a lot more of the high jump. They had the women's high jump. They had the hurdles last night, which was great for the men, the 400 meters. Uh, they had the 200-meter sprint uh, uh, heats for the women. It was the first round, so you got to see all of the women. Uh, and and I, I enjoy it because I, I think you can say certainly you're getting a lot of genetic selection in that sport and those events more than any place else. But I just find it refreshing to uh, – to see different athletes doing different things, uh, little different motivations. Certainly, they're well taken care of. Certainly, uh, they have their own problems in the international sport world. Uh, I just found it to be a welcome relief from the nonsense. And you know, we talked about it off off cast. The the baseball with the turning down of the salary and the the amounts that these guys are making. I, I just it doesn't interest me like it used to. So. Uh, I like to watch it for a standpoint of competition, but having the opportunity to watch those world championships uh, was much, much, much more enjoyable. How much has interleague play lessened the importance of the All Star Game? Because I remember back when I was growing up, the National League versus American League, you don't, you didn't see them until they met up in the World Series. Has that affected the lack of competitiveness or the lack of interest in the All Star Game? I, from my standpoint, I look at it just all the games are on TV, so you know I never saw. As a kid growing up, when the Yankees and the Reds were the two best teams, you would you would maybe see the Reds if they were on the, the game of the week on a Saturday. Um, but now you could watch any of these teams almost any night. So it, I think that for me personally has removed more of the. Um, I I think the interleague is great. I think it's great from a different standpoint. Um, I, you know, I think the Subway Series is great, but uh, for me, it was being able to watch games anytime. And nothing was special. And ESPN, you could see these guys all the time. What about the you guys, the home run derby? I mean, we saw Juan Soto and uh, the kid J-Rod out from Seattle, the, the rookie, blow it up during the home run derby. But, uh, Kevin, I know you. I saw you post on Twitter. You were at a very um, an exciting home run derby with Josh Hamilton way back when. Uh, what did you pick up from this home run? I know I didn't see a lot of launch angle. I saw a lot of guys swinging down on the baseball. Um, hitting that bottom half and driving it out when they were doing the replays. So um, talk about that Josh Hamilton memory and then uh, what you maybe saw in the home run derby. Yeah, Josh Hamilton, it was great that night. Um, it was amazing because actually I think my press seat, I was in the ox box, which was in the outfield. So those home runs were sailing over my head or to my right, almost hit it out of the ballpark. And the great thing was only a few reporters, the really hard workers, stayed late to talk to Josh because that was very late. And uh, so I remember interviewing him. I mean, and he, he had done a bunch of other earlier interviews, maybe TV and some other things. But we had to wait for him to get dressed. But it was like 1 a.m. interviewing him or something like that. So that was a fun night. As for this home run derby, um, wasn't interested that much. It be, It's become a betting thing. Although I will say I was on WIP radio the night before. And Ricky Ricardo asked me for my pick. 
And I think I shocked everyone when I said, I'm going with the kid, uh, Julio Rodriguez from this, the Mariners. And this, this, the thing that sits out about this derby was the screw-ups. They screwed up the count on Paul Holt and And they also, Soto was swinging before he was getting the okay by the umpire. There was no really, they didn't really watch the clock, so to speak. Now, now it's a home run derby, so in the past it didn't mean anything. It's okay. Well, what are you worrying about that for? But now people are betting real money on this stuff. Yeah. Well, imagine if you had J. Rod, and uh, you think that Soto got some extra swings or whatever, or you had Swarber and he gets knocked out by a miscount. Uh, it's just the betting world in baseball, and uh, it's just another Pandora's box. Yeah. Now, when you're watching the swings, do you, are you you know we, we get in this d- debate with you know people are into this launch angle and these gurus online talking about uh, these almost like a Ferris wheel type of swing as opposed to coming straight to the ball. Did you see, did you see a lot of those Ferris wheel swings last night or were these guys hitting home runs going straight to the ball just for the kids out there? So they know the difference. No, no, they were real swings the way you're supposed to. Yep. Straight, straight to the ball. Um, And also, I think the other thing is, uh, it's, it shows the importance of having a good BP pitcher putting the ball where you need it. And uh, and uh, Alonzo, I didn't think he'd win because I think he'd be overhyped, and he was, and he he was just uh, swinging too quick and everything. He just didn't have his rhythm. So, um, but but it's a you know I will say this because my kids have all gone to him. I've spent money for these stupid tickets through the years. It's a great event when you're at it. It's kind of fun, you know. It is a fun event. It's 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 it's, it's, it's so it is entertaining. Yeah. Bo, go ahead. Yeah, I, I guess there's a ton of stuff to unpack going back to the game. Uh, yeah, the uniforms were extremely ugly. Um, you know, the the game's ready to start, and uh, Ken Rosenthal is standing on the field as Kershaw's ready to cross the white line. They ask him about pitching, and Verducci's talking to Otani on deck, and I – texted a friend of mine I go are those guys going to be in the box and on the mound while the game's going on I it, it is such a a twitterverse world of talk 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 and there's no real good action um there were some really good things the Trevino and Cortez thing was neat the Manoa thing was kind of need him and Smoltz talking about trying to set up hitters and then he made a comment when he punched out the side they were losing two to nothing. He said, let's go, American League. I did my job. He wanted to win the game. And that's kind of the reason why I really like watching him pitch because he goes out to win every day. And then, you know, the home run derby, to talk, 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 talk. Eduardo Perez, the other guy, talk, talk, talk. You know, everybody in the country buys big screen TVs, yet I got to have my screen – my TV split up into three tiny screens to watch the home run derby. It's on a clock. It's rushed. You know, do the outs like you used to. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't know. It's uh, none of it makes sense. Uh, I thought that the, the, the derby was not good. The game last night was kind of boring. Um, and a lot of guys there, yeah, you know, it, it is, it is evolving into the, you know, it used to be the one all-star game that was played. Now it's evolving into 
the other ones that are just a show. So, Why don't guys want to play? I mean, almost 80 guys, like we talked about, were elected. They they back out. The injury tweak. It's yeah, you know, you know somebody might player. be tired. Yeah, they might be tired, really tired. They just don't want to play. Um, nobody used to back out, though, because the game was bigger than themselves. Um, everything about the game, the the – the all-star game was, was was like a shining night for, for baseball, you know. And it was in Boulder, it was pride in the American League and the National League. Yeah, ex- yeah there's exactly. No, there's no individual pride in the leagues right now. They're no. All together. no. They're all, you know what it is? It was a nice night for a bunch of businessmen to get together. Yeah. Yeah, well, uh, in the first inning, um, when Mookie Betts led off for, with a double, um, I think it uh, when he got the second base, uh, the second baseman on the American League team hugged him. Yeah. That's, <laughs> now, that's, if I'm pitching, I'm not real happy with <laughs> with that. The, well, the, I think that's the, why the, that's why guys like Manoa, who I know you've always liked, that's why they stand out, and that's what yeah. I come out of the All Star game with, and that's what I want our our, our listeners, young listeners, to come out. These Go guys compete. And, and Trevino and Cortez were competing. I mean, when he struck out Cooper, uh, Trevino was with him the whole way. And yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what it's all about. So take that stuff away, not the glitz. Yeah. That's yeah. a great point. How much of this is to, and then I want to put blame on the grassroots level, but I'm at a grassroots tournament this week, and people are coming over to watch our teams play because we're playing team baseball. Guys are moving runners over. They're picking guys up when they do their job. We're bunting. We're stealing bases. Uh, you know, we're making, you know, we're, we're making early strikes with our pitchers. Our catchers are communicating. I'm seeing baseball leaning towards more of an individual sport than a team sport when I'm watching these grassroots teams. And it, it makes me sad. And that's, I guess that's why we're on the air trying to change the, the baseball IQ of people. How much do you attribute to what you saw, the hugging of the guy at the Mookie Betts on second base, the, you know, hey, it's an all-star game, who cares? It's more, is it more of an individual type of game right now? That's, that's our problem? Yeah, very much so. You know, we, we, we live in the, the look-at-me society, um, and the, the, the team concept is being lost. Um, you know, my, my son right now, uh, my youngest, is in – the, the naval basic training and uh, my brother and I were talking about when we signed in baseball and most sports had militaristic training. You were taught to be part of something that's bigger than yourself. And that's what sports used to teach you, but that's not being taught anymore. That's um, great. great point. You know, and, and, and my son's going to graduate from this thing next week and can't wait to go and see it. I'm so proud of him. And he's going to walk out of there being a better man um, and caring about others or whatever. So um, we're losing. I like, I like that because that's, that's how sports is supposed to be. It's supposed to be bigger than yourself. Um, you know, you go out there, you're you, – you're responsible for you, but you take care of the guy to your right. You take care of the guy to your left. And you don't worry about you. And I say that phrase, and I tell the kids before we enter the game, remember this phrase, it's not about me right now. It's about us. And, and Bull, I wanted to ask you this question. I know you want to weigh in on something. Yeah. You can go right ahead with it. But when you're watching the Futures game or you're looking at the draft or even the All-Star game, is there a guy or guys out there within the draft of the Futures game or even the All-Star game that embody exactly what you're talking about, what you want 
um, in terms of moving this game back in the direction that we want it. Well, it, it's it's tough to say because um, I don't see all the players, but I've, I, I've seen guys that I've absolutely loved this year that play the game the right way, um, and I make sure that it's highlighted numerous times in my reports. And when guys don't play the game the right way, I, I highlight that in my reports numerous times. Give a couple um, tidbits on that to the kids listening. When you say the right way, give, give some things that you mean. Um, they respect the 90 feet. You know, as we talked about Joe Madden's T-shirts when he went to went to the Cubs, respect the 90 feet. He, he was tired of watching guys in the big leagues not you know, if you ground out four times in one night, you can't run hard to first base four times. Little things like that, running off and on the field. Uh, one of the other things I always pick up is the good player who goes and gets his teammates' glove and hat and sunglasses and brings it out to them so they don't have to come back from on the bases. Little things like that. When somebody gets a big hit or hits a home run, they get up get up off their ass and go shake their hand. They're not sitting in the dugout pouting because they're 0 for 4 that night. Just little things like that. They play the game the right way. They know how to play the game. They're good teammates. Um, they run the bases. Well, you know, well, <laughs> you know, the game started last night. Otani gets on. He gets picked off on just an easy throw over, and then the next guy strikes out, and I go, wow, welcome to baseball 2022. Those are our all-stars right there. Yeah, you, you know, it's like, it's like you know, bad base running and strikeouts. You know, it's a thing we complain about every week. So, um, yeah, I mean, there, you, you know, guys jump out at you to play the game the right way, and and I've seen a bunch of them. And like I said, you know, my gosh, if we were really teaching kids how to play the physicality of what these guys can do. And if they played the game the right way with the respect, you know, I, I, I'm not saying about, you know, you know, not celebrating and being excited when good things happen for you, but just being more respectful, the game would be unbelievably good right now because the physicality is incredible. Let me add to that, Bull, one little quick thing that I noticed, uh, and this ties it all together with the draft. And I mean, I like the fact that the Orioles took uh, Jackson Holiday, number one, and I like the fact that he stayed home. He didn't he didn't come to the Hollywood show. He wanted to be around yeah. his family and friends. That tells yeah. me a lot about him as a player and a person. And um, I think kids can play off of that instead of the, uh, you know, the guys that are just uh, – there to get, uh, you know, again, you celebrate in different ways, but I think it's really nice that he celebrated with his family. No, that was, that was awesome. You know, there were a lot of little things over the days. I was watching the high school all-star game last weekend, and one of the commentators actually had the, the stupidity to make the comment, well, with travel ball now, these guys could all be in the big leagues next year that we're watching. And I'm, and I'm watching this high school game, and they're making errors. They're running the bases bad. The pitchers have good arms, but they don't throw strikes. And I'm going, what, you know, what prompted you to make that comment during this game? He probably heard it from Manfred or his uh, lieutenants because that's how they Oh, well, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, somebody made the comment this, this winter in an article that with, 
uh, was from a general manager that with travel ball that the high school players are really much closer to the big leagues than they've ever been. And I'll argue that they're not, <laughs> but, and then, you know, Ke- Kevin, we'll go back to your, your thing earlier on. And it's the biggest word that, that the whole society doesn't have is patience. Everybody wants everything yesterday. It takes time to develop players. You know, they used to say it takes five, 600 innings. It takes 2,000 at-bats. You know, you need to learn how to play the game. No, I, I would agree. I'm, I'm involved with a tournament over the last five days. I've got five more to go. And I would say you're right on point where there's such an inertia for immediate success nowadays that parents and kids, too, have uh, they've lost the fact that it's about development. And – I'm seeing what are supposed to be the elite travel teams in the country right now, and it is so overcoached and undertaught. I'm talking baseball. They can't run the bases. They don't throw the ball properly. All it is is a bunch of dads that collected bigger, stronger 13-year-olds or 12-year-olds or 14-year-olds, and they're about winning a tournament and getting a ring as opposed to the long-term development of these these young kids that are coming out here. And it's uh, it's prevalent. It's everywhere. We talked off air, right? There's, there's nine national championships going on this week, like – how, how do you figure yeah. that out? You know, for a thousand dollars, you can be a national champion this week. Yeah, well, it, uh, every tournament is elite or national. Yep. <laughs> those Come are early the, and you can be an all-American. Hey, those man. are the catchwords that open up the parents' wallets, and unfortunately, uh, we need to educate the parents that you know, you know, if you're going to spend money, there's good places to spend it, and there's bad places to spend it for your kid. I happen to be at a hotel right now in Florida. I went away for a few days, and uh, there's a national tournament right here, actually, a softball tournament. And uh, all the national kids that could be champions, they were on the pool last night, uh, you know, horsing around horseplay. So uh, it's uh, it's good to know that there's that many national champions. Yeah, there's a good <laughs> shot to be one if you're willing to pay the money. Hey, one last topic. I know we're getting, we're getting long on time, but we at the All-Star break right now, We've talked about this on the air. 20 players have struck out over 100 times at the All-Star Bear, or close to 100, 98 or 99. That's ridiculous. I mean, you, you see guys like Wade Boggs would strike out 30, 40 times in a season. That was a lot for him. Don Mattingly, mid-20s. What do we tell the kids today about the strikeout? Because obviously it's, it's not being penalized in terms of these contracts, but the game is not going to change to the way that it should if these kids don't start putting the bat on the ball to the young kids out there, talk a little bit, a little bit of hitting right now, you know, what should be their approach when they take to the plate, you know, hundred, hundred strikeouts this early is a, is a little bit much. Um, give, give us some thoughts on that. Uh, you know, Kevin Bolsow, whichever one wants to take the, the bump on that. Oh, you go first. Okay. Um, I will say, and, and I had a son and I ran a travel travel scout team um uh the strikeout is like a badge of non-compete to me uh that you know i think we all grew up being embarrassed when we struck out there was that and like i was a pitcher that was a big thrill for me to strike a hitter out it was like a macho building block for me to go under my breath because I never talk trash, but go, go sit down, you know? Um, and now guys strike out three, four times a game. And it's like, 
they just hum, 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 you know, because, you know, I hit a home run or I hit a double or my exit velocity. Like I've actually heard a minor league player tell a, a former major league manager that uh, he didn't get it, that his batting average and strikeouts didn't matter. Check out his exit velocity. And he, the kid said it with a straight va- face. Um, no, it, it, it does matter. Put the ball in play. Truly, put the ball in play. You, you don't have to hit home runs. You know, I think they talked about Araz last night. He doesn't have the high, highest exit velocity in the big leagues, but he has the highest batting average, and he doesn't strike out a lot. He competes and is at bats. Go compete. Don't, don't let that guy strike you out. Choke up. Pete Rose, Pete Rose used to choke up. Barry Bonds choked up every pitch. How does how should their approach change when they get two strikes? I mean, I see these guys swinging from their rear ends. Whether they have, it doesn't matter what the count is. It could be yeah. you know, two one, two zero, o two. They're swinging the same thing. What should their approach be? My, you know, my son sent me a picture of Bryce Harper, um, and uh, what he does is he goes from a leg lift and uh, you know up and down load to a spread out little bit of a tippy toe, put your heel down, no stride, hands back, loaded, ready to hit. And he's cut down his strikeouts considerably this year. Um, somebody once told me a story about uh, Pujols and uh, Sweeney, who was in Kansas City, and the hitting coach in Kansas City came to him at the midway point, And he said, what do you do with two strikes? He goes, oh, well, I hit with Pujols, and Pujols spreads out. He loads, puts his weight back, and he goes tippy-toe, front front heel down, and to the ball. He said, well, you know, you're hitting 20 points higher and 18 of your 20 home runs have been with two strikes. You might, you might want to do that all the time. I think that's great. You know, I, don't, I don't have much air because I think Bolton nailed it. I will say this. Um, the media is partly to blame because – They've allowed the media and also the nerds in the front office to control the message that, you know, this is what's important, exit velocity, home runs, strikeouts don't matter. So those guys and, and gals have ruined it for everybody else in a, in a big way. But I want to I bring Sal in and ask him, you know, we, we keep talking about what you do with two strikes and stuff like that. Sal, what, do you, what, what, what is a good approach to improve your physical ability to hit – with uh, maybe involving some of the things that you teach, obviously hand-eye and all that stuff. And I know you do a lot of lacrosse, but to to become more of a – give us some idea of what drills that might work for somebody. Well, I I, I think it's a a case of you have to practice all those different ways to swing. Um, You know, I know I could – you brought up lacrosse. Well, you, you could use lacrosse. You could use basketball. You know, certainly you need a certain form to be able to hit a free throw, but a shot on the run, a jump shot, a three-pointer, things you do when you're going to the left versus going to the right, all those things need to be uh, practiced, but they have to come from a sound fundamental uh, uh, foundation. So you can't um, you can't just assume or expect these guys to now all of a sudden – you know, we all grew up with, you know, the, the things you knew to do when you had two strikes on you, depending on the circumstance of the game, you know, choke up, try to go the other way, just make contact. 
Well, if that's not what you're doing 99% of the time, or even most of the time, you're not going to all of a sudden be able to do that in a high stress environment. So, you know, I see that all the time in lacrosse. Kids want to shoot this very cool looking sidearm, underhand, kind of uh, very pleasing looking shot. However, if you don't have the fundamentals in place where you can shoot overhand right, <clears throat> you'll never shoot that low underhand shot. As a matter of fact, one of the biggest favors a team could do for you is start shooting that way because their accuracy suffers. So um, I think, Kevin, it goes back to going and being able to, you know, if guys could hit against the shift, they'd be better at, on two strikes because when you have that huge gaping hole between first and second, you could make them pay for it instead of just swinging like you always swing. So I don't think there's any specific drills on my side other than it's what you need to do as a baseball player. You need to have that, you know, you can't be so fragile that you can only swing the bat one way effectively. That's a good point. Dave, have you seen in this tournament, for example, do you see team shifting or do you, uh, you see guys, how many guys are trying to put the ball in play and not just hitting a home run? Well, it's, I think we, when you go across sports, something like striking out to me is like layups in basketball. The teams that make the most layups in these youth games win the games. The teams that strike out the least and put the ball in play are the teams that ultimately win the games. And that's one of our measurements at the end of the game. We're not seeing the shifts, but I'm noticing with our team as opposed to some of the other teams, and not throughout my lineup, but the, the, the kids that are at the high end, everybody's there just swinging the bat. They're not handling the bat. And yeah. There was like a, a marvel when we, we, we put on three hit and runs and executed where second baseman was covering. We shot it through the hole, ended up getting to a first and third situation, runner moving over to second when they missed a cutoff, you know, fundamental stuff so like that. So I'm seeing a lot of fundamental stuff missed, like cutoffs, like just clean fielding of ground balls. We had Ted Kubiak would, would, would go crazy watching these tournaments. He'd probably walk away. Um, you know, things like hitting and running, handling the bat. Um, but, yeah, even with just a regular – gap right there or a runner on third you know we, we I was so happy the most my favorite play we had a kid get a single moved him over to second um stole third or got the third on a, a down angle to the catcher hit the dirt we move on that automatically sacrifice fly scored and that was our very first run of the tournament and it made me so happy. I could have walked away right then we executed what we worked on in practice but yeah I'm seeing a lot of uh not only missed fundamentals the part that bothers me is that the coaches of the other teams and the parents of the team, they don't get that they don't get it. They've got three sets of fancy uniforms. They've paid thousands of dollars. They're acting like maniacs in the stands. you got grown men bouncing up and down the dugouts, yelling and screaming, flexing. I mean, the behaviors are crazy. So that that needs to get taken care of. But, yeah, the, the actual shifting and the fundamentals of handling the bat is not there right now. Um, the teams that usually, honestly, unfortunately, the teams that have the biggest, strongest kids – usually will last longer, but I'm seeing these teams that aren't so big. There, there's a few of us in there where I'm seeing some other kindred spirits that I'm grabbing that are, hey, they're moving runners over. Uh, they're hitting behind runners. They're seeing a gap, and they're, they're trying to get that kid to find that gap. Even if he makes it out, at least he's working on developing. So, no, unfortunately, I'm not seeing a lot of the, the pauses we hope to, but there are some glimmering hopes, and those are the people I'm grabbing uh, to try to connect with our group. Bring back Nelly Fox. That's what I said. That's right. No strikeouts, bunt, move him over. Didn't didn't make mistakes in the field. Well, how much about is that, that? I know it's about technique, but how much of all that stuff as we wrap up is about toughness? Yeah, a lot of it is just about, you know, understanding um, what you're capable of doing and, uh, you know, uh, 
I, I once heard somebody explain it really well. You can be a good team player and be selfish. You know, selfishly work hard to make yourself really good, but then blend that in with the rest of your teammates. And, 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 and I don't think that's happening. And, you know, Sal made a really good point about the, the, the equivalency with the lacrosse kid that's trying to do the sidearm behind the back thing that doesn't have the fundamentals of his overhand throw. And then, you know, it, it, it reminds you of what Nestor Cortez has done. He has created such a good delivery that he can change his arm angles and do all those different things because he has the basics of balance, rhythm, and timing down, which is the essence of both pitching and hitting. Um, you know, how many times do we, you know, you know, we, you hear the announcers go, boy, oh, boy, he is really swinging the bat well. He's on time with everything. That comes from balance, rhythm, and timing. Um when pitchers are throwing really well, they're they're connected, they're balanced, they're on time, they're making pitches because everything is connected the way it's supposed to be. We've and it's Mark not, Wiley. Mark Wiley gave us that too. He spoke yeah. about that balance really. Yeah, you know, you know, and it's it is not a maximum effort thing. You know, they they talked about it during the home run derby. Those guys aren't falling down swinging when they're hitting home runs, when they get into a rhythm, it's a thing of beauty to watch because there's really no effort to it. So. Yeah. A great point. Yeah. Kevin, anything left on your mind today? We're getting close to it. I think we got, uh, if you listen to this podcast, you're going to be, we're building a better ball player. Yeah. I think take, take a look at and take a listen to some of the stuff that we pointed out parents, young kids out there. There's good going on, but we need to gravitate toward the positive and start moving the game back in the direction that we we intended it to be a long time ago. So guys, thanks again for today. Great information for our audience and our kids. And we will see you next week. We have Bob Schaefer coming on next week. We're excited. Assistant, assistant to the general manager, special assistant to the general manager. He's going to share a lot of good baseball knowledge with us. Guys, have a good rest of the day. Looking forward to it. You too, guys. Have a great day, guys. Yeah, I know where we're going to be.